And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. What day is December the 11th? 345th day of the year. 20 days remain till the year's over with. Holidays and observances. Hmm. Oh, isn't that fascinating? They were there. I had them all neatly arranged. UNICEF Day for Change. Extending a helping hand to children around the world. National Have a Bagel Day. Green Monday. Then we got Black Friday, Cyber Monday. And Green Monday, all unique ways that are related to the holiday shopping that people often engage in at the late December. Now, it might sound like a day that's meant to celebrate the environment, but that's not exactly the definition of green for this particular day. Instead, the idea of Green Monday was started because of the day's relationship to money. After all, U.S. dollars are green and even have the nickname Greenback. And in the real world, the retail world, Green Monday is one of the business most lucrative shopping days in the industry. Occurring on the second Monday in December, typically represents the last-minute effort that many people make toward getting gifts for the Christmas holidays. And that's because that's usually the last day people can shop online so purchases can still get there in time for the holidays. It's like when I was uh, talking to the VA about uh, some devices I needed and I had one even though they had screwed up getting it for me and they said where'd you get that I said Dr. Amazon best doctor around International Mountain Day National Noodle Ring Day Hanukkah in fact it started last night I think Blue Christmas uh, Gift of Sight Month Operation Santa Paws, Worldwide Food Service Safety Month, National Right of Business Plan Month, National Time Month, National Para Month, and Universal Human Rights Month. Okay. Let us. All right. All that having been said. In 220 A.D., Emperor John of Han is forced to abdicate the throne by Cao Cao's son, Cao Pai, ending the Han Dynasty. Uh, Cao Cao was the courtesy, na- um, the courtesy name Mingde, was a Chinese statesman, world warden, poet who rose to power to end of the Eastern Han Dynasty. He actually became the effective head of the Han central government during that period. 361, Julian enters Constantinople as sole Roman emperor. Constantinople was the capital of the Eastern Roman Empire, also known as Byzantine Empire. 861, the assassination of the Abbasid Caliph al-Matawakil by the Turkish guard who raised al-Muntasir to the throne. That's the start of the anarchy at uh, Samara. 969, Byzantine emperor 
like Forrest II Focus, assassinated by his wife, Theophano, and her lover, the later Emperor John I Zemeckis. 1041, Michael V, adoptive son of Empress Zoe of Byzantine, is proclaimed emperor of the Eastern Roman Empire. 1282, Battle of Orem Bridge. Lewin ap Griffold, the last native prince of Wales, is killed at uh, Kilmary near uh, Bulith Wells in uh, Mid-Wales. 1602, a surprise attack by forces under the command of Charles Emmanuel I, Duke of Savoy. And his brother-in-law, Philip III of Spain, is repelled by the citizens of Neva. It's commemorated annually by the Fete de la Escalde. 1640, the Root and Branch Petition, signed by 15,000 Londoners, called for the abolition of the Episcopate, which uh, is represented to the uh, Long Parliament. The uh, Episcopal policy is a hierarchical form of church governance in which local, the chief local authorities are called bishops. And uh, the Londoners got tired of that. 1675, Antonio de Vea expedition enters San Rafael Lake in western Patagonia. 1688, the glorious revolution. James II of England, while trying to flee to France, throws the great seal of the realm into the River Thames. That was considered uh, a bad thing to do. 1792, French Revolution. Um, King Louis XVI of France is put on trial for treason by the National Convention. 1815, <coughs> excuse me, the U.S. Senate creates a select committee on finance and uniform national currency, predecessor of the United States Senate Committee on Finance. 1816, Indiana becomes the 19th U.S. state. 1868, Paraguayan War, Brazilian troops defeat the Paraguayan army at the Battle of Ave. 1899, Second Boer War, and the Battle of Megersfontein, the, the Boers, commanded by General Piet Cronhey, inflicted a defeat on the forces of the British Empire, commanded by Lord Muthen, who was trying to relieve the siege of uh, Kimberley. All right, 1901, Guglielmo Marconi transmits the first transatlantic radio signal from Paul II Cornwall, England, to St. John's, Newfoundland. Supposedly, he also received some unexplained signals from space. 1905, a workers' uprising occurs in Kiev, Ukraine, which was then part of the Russian Empire, and establishes the Shulevka Republic. 1907, the New Zealand Parliament building is almost completely destroyed by fire. 1913, more than two years after it was stolen from the Louvre, Leonardo da Vinci's painting Mona Lisa is recovered in Florence, Italy. The thief, Vincenzo Perugia, is immediately arrested. 1917, World War I, British General Edmund Allenby enters Jerusalem on foot and declares martial law. 1920, Irish War of Independence. In retaliation for a recent IRA ambush, British forces burn and loot numerous buildings in Cork City. Many civilians report being beaten, shot at, robbed, and verbally abused by British forces. 
1925, Roman Catholic Papal Encyclical Quas Primus introduces the Feast of the Christ the King. 1927, Guangzhou Uprising. Communist Red Guards launched an uprising in Guangzhou, China, taking over much of the city and advancing the formation of a Guangzhou Soviet. 1931, Statue of Westminster in 1931. British Parliament establishes legislative equality between the UK and the dominions of the Commonwealth, Australia, Canada, Newfoundland, New Zealand, South Africa, and Ireland. 1934, Bill Wilson, co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, takes his last drink and enters treatment for the final time. 1936, abdication crisis. Edward VIII's abdication as king of the United Kingdom and the British dominions beyond the seas and emperor of India becomes effective. He was the one that wanted to marry um, the American divorcee. He gave up his throne. 1937, Second Italo-Ethiopian War. Italy leaves the League of Nations. 1941, World War II. Germany and Italy declare war on the U.S. following the America's declaration of war on the Empire of Japan in the wake of the attack on Pearl Harbor. U.S. in turn declares war on them. 1941, World War II. Poland declares war on the Empire of Japan. 1941 also saw the Imperial Japanese Navy suffer its first loss of surface vessels during the Battle of Wake Island. 1946, United Nations International Children's Emergency Fund, UNICEF, is established. 1948, Arab-Israeli War. Nine nations passed General Assembly Resolution 194, creating a consolation commission to mediate the conflict. Israel's attacked by the Arab world, and they want to mediate. 1958, French Upper Volta and French Dahomey gained self-government from France, becoming a Republic of Alta Volta, now Burkina Faso, and Republic of Dahomey, now Benin, respectively, and joining the French community. 1960, French forces cracked down on a violent clash with protesters in French Algeria during a visit by French President Charles de Gaulle. 1962, Arthur Lucas, convicted of murders, last person to be con- executed in Canada. 1964, Che Guevara speaks at the United Nations General Assembly in New York City. 1972, Apollo 17 becomes the sixth and final Apollo, Apollo mission to land on the moon. The... Um, it was the 11th and final mission of NASA's Apollo program. Um, Commander Gene Cernan and Module Pilot Harrison Smith walked on the moon. While Command Module Pilot Ronald Evans orbited above, Smith was the only professional geologist to land on the moon. He was selected to, in place of Joe Engel as NASA had been under pressure to send a scientist to the moon. Mission's heavy emphasis on science meant the inclusion of a number of new experiments, including a biological experiment containing five mice that was carried in the command module. Well, there were two primary goals in deciding on the landing site. They wanted to sample lunar highland material older than that in uh, Mar Ibrium and investigate the possibility of relatively recent volcanic activity. 
Now, the mission broke several records of, for crewed spaceflight, including the longest crewed lunar landing mission, 12 days and 14 hours, greatest distance from a spacecraft during an extra vehicle activity of any type. That was 4.7 miles. Longest duration of lunar surface extravehicular activity, 22 hours and 4 minutes. The largest lunar sample return, um, 254 pounds. Longest time in lunar orbit, 6 days and 4 hours. And the greatest number of lunar orbits, 75. This was also going to be um, Commander Eugene Cernan's third and last space flight. It was the only space flight that uh, Command Module Pilot Evans would make, and it was the only space flight that Harrison Smith would make. 1978, the Lufthansa heist is committed by a group led by the Lucchese family associate Jimmy Burke, largest cash robbery ever committed on American soil at that time. Now, in actuality, the largest um, cash robbery ever committed on American soil was done by Congress. 1980, Comprehensive Environmental Response, Compensation and Liability Act, the Superfund, is enacted by the U.S. Congress. 1981, a Mazzotti massacre, armed forces of El Salvador killed an estimated 900 civilians in an anti-guerrilla campaign during the Salvadoran Civil War. Interesting news flash just came in. woman was caught in the midst of trying to set fire to Martin Luther King Jr.'s home. She had doused the front with gasoline, uh, was trying to uh, ignite her lighter when uh, an off-duty police officer and someone else uh, apprehended her. 1990, demonstrations by students and workers across Albania began which eventually triggered the fall of communism in Albania. 1990, several federal collisions in a 1990 Interstate 75 fog disaster resulted in the death of uh, 12 and 42 being injured. 1993, a block of the Highland Towers condominium complex collapses following a landslide, which was caused by heavy rain and water flowing from a construction site at uh, Ampang District in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. 48 residents die, including one who died in the hospital after being rescued alive. There were only two survivors. 1994, the first Chechnya war. Russian President Boris Yeltsin orders Russian troops into Chechnya. Also in 1994, a bomb explodes on Philippines Airline Flight 434 en route from Manila, Philippines to Tokyo, Japan. One person was killed. The captain was able to land the plane safely. Can't get good bombers anymore. Uh, 1997, the Kyoto Protocol opens for signature. It was an international treaty that extended the 1992 United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change that uh, commits state parties to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. You know, I've had a number of serious scientists uh, tell me that there's not a whole lot we can do about climate change. And the planet is going to change its climate periodically, as it has for eons. But this is something that activists can get behind. And everybody wants to be an activist and fight for what they believe in.
ignorant or not. 1998, Thai Airways Flight 261 crashes near Surat Thani Airport, kill 101. The pilot flying the Airbus A310 is thought to have suffered a spatial disorientation. He got dizzy. 1999, SATA Air Corps Flight 530 crashes into Pico de Esperanza on the San Jorge Island in the Azores, kill 35. 2001, China joins the World Trade Organization. 2005, the Boonsfield Oil Depot catches fire in Hemel Hempstead, England. Also in 2005, the Cronulla riots. Thousands of white Australians demonstrated against ethnic violence, resulting in a riot against anyone thought to be Lebanese in Cronulla, South, New South Wales, followed up by retaliatory ethnic attacks on uh, Cronulla. You know, this... The sheer lunacy of all these, the woke and uh, all these demonstrations, uh, many of which are uh, directed at whites, nine times out of ten are organized and led by whites. It's just um, unbelievable. Okay. Uh, 2006 International Conference to Review the Global Vision of the Holocaust is opened in Tehran, Iran by then-President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. Nations such as Israel and the United States expressed concern. They've tried to make it appear that the Holocaust never happened. And as Whoopi Goldberg, who of course is a true rocket scientist, said that was just white-on-white crime, nothing to worry about. 2006, Felipe Calderon, the president of Mexico, launches a military-led offensive to put down the drug cartel violence in the state of uh, Michoacan, efforts often regarded as the first event in the Mexican drug war. 2007, insurgency in the Maghreb. Two car bombs explode in Algiers, Algeria, one near the Supreme Constitutional Court and the other near the offices of the United Nations. 2008, Bernie Madoff's arrested and charged with securities fraud in a $50 billion Ponzi scheme. 2009, Finnish game developer Rovio Entertainment releases the hit mobile game Angry Birds internationally on iOS. 2012, at least 125 people are killed, up to 200 injured in bombings in the Alawit village of Agrab, Syria. 2017, New York City subway bombing. Pipe bomb partially detonates in a New York City subway in Times Square, 42nd Street, Port Authority Burst Terminal. Four people are injured, including the perpetrator. Now, that's just ignorance when you blow yourself up. 2019, the results of the 2019 Bougainvillean independence referendum are announced. The results are overwhelmingly one-sided. 98% of the voters vote for Bougainville's uh, independence. 2020, the Food and Drug Administration issues an emergency use authorization on the Pfizer BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine. That's the first, the first COVID-19 vaccine to be approved by the agency. And unfortunately, from what I've read and heard, it, it has, shall we say, issues. And I've been doing... Um, a lot of research getting ready to do uh, my next book which is about the Kennedy assassination 
I started one long ago, but I'm going to get it finished now. And a number of interesting things came to light, which I find absolutely fascinating. Um, number one... There seems to be two Oswalds. The um, now, I had a contract CIA agent send me a tape years ago when I used to do my show out of Anaheim, California, and he had been there. His job was to do what amounted to um, cleanup. And he said that information um, made it fairly clear that uh, if not uh, homosexual, Oswald was uh, the real Oswald was a bisexual and he took um, Oswald's friend to the airport to meet him and the Oswald that got off the plane didn't recognize the man he'd had an affair with for years now in the rush to call Oswald guilty Uh, the few things that have been overlooked. Number one, um, if he'd have gone to trial, there wasn't enough evidence to convict him of anything. Um, in the mechanism of the assassination, Oswald is frankly irrelevant. And while he's seemingly the key figure in the story of Kennedy's assassination, the founders of the evidence says something uh, quite different. Now, the official story that the Warren Commission put out and that the government has hammered on ever since is Oswald was a disgruntled Marine obsessed with communism. He defected to the Soviet Union married the, the daughter of a KGBA uh, official, came back, bought a rifle by mail order, killed the President of the United States. But frankly, if you take the time to examine each part of the Oswald legend that were put together so to speak, in order to come up with this uh, the boogeyman of the homicidal Marxist. None of them stand up to the slightest amount of scrutiny. I mean, there are hundreds of examples of Oswald uh, displaying himself as this homicidal Marxist uh, across New Orleans, Dallas, Mexico City, and a number of other places. But if you examine each one in detail, 
you find that it wasn't Oswald. Now, there's a number of occurrences that are said to have involved Lee Harvey Oswald. And you lump all these things together and you got the president's assassin. But in actuality, it's not that simple. Now, a lot of Americans actually did hate Kennedy because he was perceived as being soft on communism. And like other presidents, he jumped anything in a skirt. But he's allegedly murdered by a communist. And yet Kennedy was one of the softest presidents on communism we've had until you get to the one we got now who's soft on everything. And all the years since the assassination, nobody's been able to present a theory of the crime that provides a even remoteless motive for Oswald and want Kennedy dead. And that's why Johnson appointed the Warren Commission. Because everybody loved Earl Warren. Oh, yes. Now, the notion that Oswald assassinated Kennedy and killed Officer Tippett and shot the Easter Bunny and bugged Santa Claus has been accepted by many because primarily the Warren Commission. And if you don't dig too deeply, the story as presented appears to be rational and plausible. In reality, the thesis of Oswald as the lone assassin is well thought out, long planned cover story that was designed to create plausible deniability for the actual um, assassins. I mean, it was the most significant event in world history at the time, and the perpetrators prepared accordingly. Oswald was, in fact, exactly what he said he was. He was a patsy. Now, there's a number of out-of-print books that I wish I could get a hold of, but not been able to so far. And one of them is a book called Harvey and Lee. Written by a man named John Armstrong. And Armstrong concluded that Oswald had a duplicate beginning sometime around 1947. And the Oswald story, as presented to the American people, is actually a mingling of these two men's lives. Now, Armstrong had built a strong case that there were two Oswalds who both utilized Lee Harvey Oswald's credentials from the time he was a child through the end of his life. And according to Armstrong, one of them went by the, the name of Lee, the other went by the name of Harvey. Now, at first blush, it's preposterous. But the data that Armstrong presented in the form of first-hand uh, interviews and documents uh, was solid. The data he put forth was undeniable. And there are countless incidents in Oswald's life presented by Armstrong that just don't fit with what we think we know about Oswald and his history. Now, in 1953, there were numerous conflicting records pertaining to um, Lee's education. It's well documented that Oswald attended PS44 in Bronx, New York. Admitted March 23, 1953. 
had a positive attendance record until they left the school in January 1954. Now, it's during this time period that the official story describes Oswald as a truant, having numerous court appearances and counseling with psychiatrists that ultimately resulted in the placement of Oswald in a boys' home called Youth House. So on the one hand, you got a student with a positive attendance record, and on the other hand, you got a truant that had wound up in a boys' home. In May of 53, Oswald's health records from PS44 indicate he was 5 feet 4 inches tall and weighed 114 pounds. And that was in May of 53. In April of 53, Oswald had been interviewed at Youth House by Dr. Renatus Hartogs and Dr. Milton Curian. His height is estimated to be between 4, uh, four foot 6 and 4 foot 8. And Hartogs said Oswald appeared gaunt and malnourished. And Oswald was reminiscent of children he had seen in concentration camps in Europe. Now, that description just doesn't match what we see in the known photographs of Lee Harvey Oswald from that time period. September 54, after Oswald left New York for New Orleans, he began the ninth grade at Beauregard Junior High. And there are mounts of documents showing this information is correct. However, at the same time, Oswald is also attending Stripling Junior High in Fort Worth, Texas. And he was living at 20, uh, 2220 Thomas Place, directly across the street from the school. And this address is also the address that Marguerite Oswald was living at at the time of the uh, assassination. And the school's assistant principal confirmed that Oswald was attending Stripling Junior High. Now, Frank Cudieri, the assistant principal, when interviewed, uh, uh, confirmed he'd been contacted by the school's principal, Mr. Wiley, the day after the assassination. November 23, 1963, he was told to report to the school and pull all the records for Lee Harvey Oswald. He said men from the FBI be meeting him there to retrieve them. Cagliari located the records, gave him a cursory grants to confirm they did belong to Oswald, and turned them over to people who identified themselves as being from the FBI the day after the assassination. Now, I would have an issue with that because the day after the assassination was about the time that Oswald was shot by Ruby. At that point in time, he was had not yet been officially charged. Now, these records indicated Oswald attended the school for a six-week period at the beginning of the 1954 school year. At the same time, he was supposedly... Uh, in uh, Borgard Junior High and he was there for the entire year. Oswald's attendance in Fort Worth is also confirmed by a fellow student who remembered him clearly. She said she had seen him walk home from school numerous times and knew where he lived. 
Now, Armstrong also got an interview with Myra de Rouse, a teacher at Beauregard Junior High in New Orleans who knew Oswald well. And uh, she confirmed his attendance at Beauregard during that same time period. She told Armstrong he never went by the name Lee. He was always known as Harvey. Now, the notion of a Harvey Oswald and a Lee Oswald as two separate individuals has been discounted, but if you look at the evidence, it's a very valid scenario. This duplicate Oswald scenario and Lee's false defection of the Soviet Union were inextricably linked together. And Oswald had a brother named Robert was almost certainly involved with CIA at some level. And from the evidence, it appears he was aware of the duplicate Oswald scheme. And while it might seem ridiculous, you have to ask yourself, at the height of the Cold War, what was the U.S. government willing to do to get a spy into the Soviet Union? And frankly, the answer would be just about anything. When you truly come to understand tradecraft and how covert operations uh, take place, you realize that the use of body doubles and other forms of misdirection are simply modus operandi of the spy world. Spies live in a world of deception and intrigue. So you really can't say it's ridiculous to think that a post-World War II CIA would pluck a Russian-speaking child out of an impoverished Eastern Bloc company, country, even a concentration camp, and raise him in the U.S. under the name of another child for the purpose of later infiltrating him back into the Soviet Union. And that seems to be exactly what happened. Now, Armstrong wasn't the only person who believed that Oswald was being impersonated. As I said, the contract agent that uh, sent me the tape that I played on previous shows shows that uh, even Oswald's closest uh, acquaintances, his gay lover, didn't really be able to state the one that got off the plane wasn't the one that he knew. One of the earliest advocates for the idea of the uh, impersonation was J. Edgar Hoover. He did a June 3, 1960 memo to the Office of Security at the State Department, and he said, since there's a possibility an imposter, imposter is using Oswald's birth certificate, any current information the State Department may have concerning the subject would be appreciated. So by the summer of 1960, the FBI already knew Oswald was being impersonated. Well, the problem is, in presenting a scenario like this, you have to draw conclusions from the evidence. And while the evidence may be solid, conclusions can be attacked. Armstrong attributed all the Oswald imposter actions between the time of the initial defection to the Soviet Union and the assassination to Lee while 
Harvey's being set up to take the fall. His problem was he wasn't able to connect the dots on who was actually impersonating Oswald after his defection. Even though their names are scattered throughout the Kennedy literature, the evidence overwhelmingly points to two men in particular who posed as Lee Harvey Oswald in order to create Oswald's communist persona in the years leading up to the assassination. And those two were William Seymour and Carrie Thornley. And there were a few other minor characters who used the name Oswald as part of the frame-up, but none of them contributed to the major events that uh, we all became familiar with in the Lee Harvey Oswald story. Now, once Oswald left the Marines, he became hard to track. And it's from that point forward that the actions attributable to a duplicate Oswald or Oswald imposter um, provably fall on individuals outside the scope of uh, even the research Armstrong did. And I'm determined to track down that book. Now, Garrison, Jim Garrison, district attorney in New Orleans, investigator Louis Ivan compiled a list of Oswald's various heights from either first-hand descriptions or documents. He sent a memo to Garrison on November 14, 1968, detailing these discrepancies as well as his conclusions about the idea of multiple Oswalds. Priscilla Johnson, the journalist who knew Oswald in the Soviet Union, described Oswald as 5'11". Carrie Thornley described Oswald as 5 feet 5, 140 pounds. Um, Oswald put on his application for the Albert Schweitzer College. He was 5'11 and 160 pounds, which is close to how he was described by Marguerite Oswald as 5'10. When Oswald came back to the States from the Soviet Union, his paperwork said he was 5'6 and slim. His passport indicated a height of five foot eleven, but as Ivan points out, photos of Oswald Marina in Russia do not depict the man towering over the tiny Marina, who was just a little bit over five feet tall. So you got a five foot six Oswald coming back to the U.S., going to Robert's house at Fort Worth, and growing five inches in time to be observed by John Fane thirteen days later. Well, I think Robert, who was the brother of Oswald, knew this returning defector was not his brother, and this is uh, what his problem was the night of the assassination when he found it necessary to take such a long drive to think things out. It would appear from the evidence that the impersonation started in the Marines. Kerry Thornley said the Oswald he knew was about five foot five. So if he knew the Lee Harvey Oswald who went into the Marines as 5'8", then you've got to think that the impersonation actually began during the Marine period. 5'5 and 5'8", there's a very clear difference. Bill Boxley said the CIA successfully put... Uh, over impersonation, so even mothers were fooled. Oswald's story that the world's been told revolves around the notion he was a communist. We're led to believe communism was the driving force in his life. All the actions he took, from joining the Fair Play for Cuba Committee to defecting to the Soviet Union, could be traced back to his fascination with Marx and the plight of the worker. 
And at no time did Oswald ever deny this, nor did he deny his activities on behalf of Fair Play for Cuba Committee. He's even on film handing out leaflets for the New Orleans chapter that he himself had allegedly started. So these acts are presented by the Warren Commission as absolute proof that Oswald was a communist, and that led him to assassinate the president. But what if he wasn't a communist? What if he was an intelligence agent? And a lot of of uh, records vanished that could have been used to show he was a federal agent. Now, there are many indications that Oswald's defection to the Soviet Union is part of a false defection program being run by the CIA, and that program did exist at that time. He left the Marines of what's called a dependency discharge, meaning he was allowed to exit his military service in order to care for his injured mother, Marguerite Oswald. And while Marguerite was many things, she was not injured. She wasn't in need of permanent care. After being discharged, Oswald spent uh, a mere three days with her before departing for Europe to attend the Albert Schweitzer College in Zurich, Switzerland. Now, he failed to arrive in Zurich. Instead, he went to Helsinki, Finland. Once in Helsinki, he was able to obtain a visa to enter Moscow in record time. It only took one day for his visa application to be approved. Instead of a week or more, it should have taken. His stated intent to attend the Albert Schweitzer College was apparently a cover for his true intentions. He had, in fact, applied to the school, and he had been accepted, which gave his story credibility, but why that particular school? Well, according to Bill Simprick in a... uh, article um, entitled A JFK Case The Twelve That Built the Oswald Legend Percival Brundridge, the college president was Eisenhower's budget director and a staunch advocate of black budget financing for military and intelligence operations He was also known as one of the two owner-operators of Southern Air Transport infamous as the CIA airline in the Caribbean and Southeast Asia during the 60s and 70s So it would appear that the Albert Schweitzer College in Zurich, Switzerland, if not an outright front for the CIA, had direct connections to the CIA. And while the cover story was just one minor step in the process of Oswald's defection, it shows that even the minor steps he took to get to the Soviet Union had the fingerprints of the intelligence world all over him. And at the same time Oswald's making his way to Moscow, CIA false defector type programs are already active. Declassified documents showed the program codenamed uh, A.E. Balcony had been in place since 1959 and executed between 60 and 62. The idea was to utilize naturalized citizens with fluency in Baltic languages to conduct mounted or piggyback operations involving commercial travel to Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania, which were then under Soviet control. Upon arrival, operatives would attempt to make new contacts in the area, which would be willing to work with the U.S. in gathering and relaying intelligence. July 25, 1960, CIA document states Project A.E. Balcony will support legal travel operations utilizing U.S. citizens and targeted Estonia, Latvian, and Lithuanian USSR. 
Now, by support, they mean financial support. I mean, Oswald was allegedly penniless, so this had to be how he uh, was able to pay for his journey back across the Atlantic. Now, A.E. Balcony, or Project A.E. Balcony, was connected to another program called Redskin, which had been in existence since at least 1955. Now, Redskin was built on the same foundation as A.E. Balcony. However, it specifically aimed to utilize students who would gather intelligence and report back what they observed. By 1961, the CIA planned to refocus efforts on Redskin, which had been reorganized under the A.E. Balcony program. Now, other programs under A.E. Balcony included A.E. Poem, A.E. Flag, and A.E. Basin. Documents that have been released on these programs show that only selected candidates, in some cases, deployed them. However, many of these recruits failed to be utilized for various reasons. Now, there's no direct evidence that Oswald had been a participant in these programs. However, the aims of these operations, as written in the unclassified documents pertaining to A.E. Balcony, match many of the circumstances that surrounded Oswald's defection. So could the Albert Schweitzer College Affair link Oswald to Redskin? It's possible. As the program specifically utilized naturalized Baltic spe uh, language speakers, if Oswald had been part of one of these programs, would lend credence to Armstrong's theory that Harvey Oswald was sent to Russia due to his fluency in Russian. So as you can see, there are lots of ifs. But it raises questions that the Warren Commission refused to ask. And these pieces of the puzzle appear to fit, but unfortunately... We don't have enough evidence to say conclusively Oswald is part of the programs. If you were to speculate on the issue, though, his involvement would answer many of the questions surrounding the defection to Russia. Now, Oswald returns to the U.S. in June of 62. With him is his Russian wife, Marina, and their first child, June. They live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area of Texas, and it's here that Oswald connects with Ruth and Michael Payne and George DeMornshield, who undoubtedly played major roles in his setup and in the construction of the myth that Oswald was a communist. Now, that myth was enhanced by many of Oswald's actions, but it was his alleged affiliation with Fair Play for Cuba Committee that's been emphasized in the official story by the Warren Commission. It's largely perceived as the most damning evidence that he was, in fact, a communist. Oswald's alleged to have contacted the Fair Play for Cuba Committee and sought assistance in establishing the New Orleans chapter of the group. So letters he sent the organization clearly to link him to the Fair Play for Cuba Committee, also captured on film distributing their leaflets on the streets of New Orleans, and that led to his appearance on WDSU-TV in New Orleans, where he proudly proclaimed he was a Marxist-Leninist. Isn't much more damning evidence of his communist leanings than that, but what if the Fair Play for Cuba Committee was never actually a communist organization? What if their roots could have been determined to have been U.S. intelligence? And what if Oswald was never actually associated with them at all? Now, the Wikipedia has information on things you just wouldn't believe. 
and it only has a little bit of information on the uh, Fair Play for Cuba committee. No mention of Oswald Kennedy or anything else for that matter. According to what Wikipedia had to say, the Fair Play for Cuba committee's purpose was to provide grassroots support for the Cuban revolution against attacks by the United States government once Fidel Castro began openly admitting his commitment to Marxism and began the expropriation and nationalization of uh, Cuban assets belonging to U.S. corporations. Fair Play for Cuba committee opposed the Bay of Pigs invasion in 61, the imposition of the United States embargo against Cuba, and sympathetic to the Cuban view during the Cuban Missile Crisis of 62. And its members were, in fact, placed under surveillance by the FBI. Now, this would seem, in a nutshell, to make it clear it was a pro-communist organization. However, in actuality, this explanation does everything it can to sweep the real story of the Fair Play for Cuba Committee under the rug. I mean, the phrase, once Fidel Castro began openly admitting his commitment to Marxism, that phrasing ignores the origins and operations of the Fair Play for Cuba Committee prior to Castro's turn to communism. Now, the committee was formed in April of 60, and Castro didn't embrace communism until December 61. So, how can this discrepancy be explained, and what was the purpose of the committee if it wasn't to support Castro's communist regime? Well, a history of the Fair Play for Cuba Committee credits Vincent T. Lee with its formation. And a snapshot of that website dated January 21st, 2005. says the committee was an activist group set up in the United States by, in the early 1960 by Vincent Lee. Its purpose was to provide grassroots support for a movement to modify, to support the Cuban uh, revolution against attacks by the U.S. government. But most interesting... The main current interest in this group is its most visible members in New Orleans, Louisiana area was briefly Lee Harvey Oswald, the accused assassin. The accused assassin. He was never convicted of President John Kennedy. Now that's a far cry from the current Wikipedia explanation of the Fair Play for the Cuba Committee. By May of 2006, the same Wikipedia URL had removed all mention of Vincent Lee as having formed the organization and credited no one with its inception. Well, the real story of the Fair Play for Cuba Committee begins with Robert Tabor and Richard Gibson. Both men were active journalists for CBS when they formed the organization in April of 1960. But they're not publicly linked with the founding of the group until recently when that information came to light. Vincent Lee had been credited with forming the organization in Tampa, Florida, which is uh, provably false. Now, the reason for the obfuscation over the origins of the uh, committee stems from the fact that Gibson and Tabor worked with the CIA. So the Fair Play for Cuba Committee was most certainly a CIA front. Now, for reasons unknown, Richard Gibson's been intentionally or unintentionally outed as a spy in 2005 through one of the, the Kennedy record dumps. Um... 
Tabor's background isn't much different from Gibson's. He fought in the war, which most likely when he was uh, recruited by intelligence. And if you had half a brain, you were recruited by the uh, OSS almost immediately. We're talking about World War II. People underestimated how much power and control the OSS had over the direction of the war and over the U.S. government itself. Between 1941 and 1945, the OSS recruited tens of thousands of operatives. After the war, all these operatives went home and got jobs in every possible sector of the workforce. Then in 1947, when the CIA came into existence, the majority of those recruited came back into the intelligence fold, covertly, though. Um, and this is probably what happened to Tabor. And if, not, if that's not the case, then he and Gibson most certainly brought in an Operation Mockingbird in the 1950s. Well, by the time the fair play for, well, I digress. According to Jeffrey St. Clair and Alexander Cockburn's November 2016 article appearing in Counterpunched, which is entitled to CIA in the Press, when the Washington Post ran the CIA's propaganda network, by 1953, Operation Mockingbird had a major influence over 25 newspapers and wire agencies, including the New York Times, CBS, Time. Frank Wisner's operations were funded by siphoning of funds intended for the Marshall Plan, and some of that money was used to just outright bribe journalists and publishers. So by the time the Fair Play for Cuba Committee was created in 1960, the CIA owned the American media. And Gibson and Tabor were no exception, especially when you consider the fact they both worked for CBS. Well, on that note, we come to the end of the day's show. Now, we're going to talk about more about the two Oswalds in tomorrow's show. Till then, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great evening.